This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, September 22nd. Coming up, reports of hate crimes have risen recently in Kansas and Missouri. As it spreads across the prairie, it keeps getting harder and more expensive to kill. I've probably spent a thousand hours in this pasture killing old world blue stem. You know, a rancher can't do that. We'll hear from some of the landowners and researchers who are trying to prevent old world blue stem from changing the Kansas prairie forever. But first, some headlines. Kansas City officials will discuss whether to extend the city's mask mandate today. KCUR's Beck Shackleford-Wanganga has more. The city's Transportation, Infrastructure and Operations Committee will hear a proposal to extend the mask mandate to October 7th. The current mandate is slated to expire Thursday. It requires people ages 5 and up to wear a mask indoors in public spaces regardless of their vaccination status. While new COVID-19 cases aren't as high as they were last month, several area ICUs are still full as the highly contagious Delta variant spreads. If the committee passes the extension, the full council will have a final vote Thursday. A federal appeals court heard arguments yesterday on whether to uphold Missouri's law banning abortions based solely on a diagnosis of Down syndrome. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. In 2019, senior U.S. District Judge Howard Sachs blocked the state from enforcing the ban. Missouri appealed to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals and a three-judge panel upheld Sachs's ruling. But in a rare move, the full court agreed to hear the case. Reproductive Health Services in St. Louis, the state's only remaining abortion clinic, challenged the law. A lawyer for the organization told the court today that upholding the law, quote, would deny abortion access to patients in Missouri clearly a constitutional harm. The Missouri Attorney General's Office, which defended the law, described abortions of Down syndrome fetuses as, quote, eugenic abortion and urged the court to uphold it. An invasive species of grass is taking over pastures and grasslands in Kansas. David Condos of the Kansas News Service reports some researchers and landowners are trying to stop it if it's not already too late. Randy Rogers paces back and forth across his Rush County pasture in West Central Kansas, armed with a shovel and a bucket. He's on the hunt for old world blue stem. There's my trophy. <laughs> Rogers holds up a scraggly clump of grass. It may not look like much, but this unwelcome plant is threatening a lot of what makes Kansas, well, Kansas. It takes over native prairies, it makes pastures worse grazing grounds for cattle, which can cut into beef profits, and once it gets a foothold, it costs landowners a ton of money and time to get rid of it, if they can get rid of it at all. Here's another. Rogers, a retired biologist, has dug up hundreds of the plants one by one over the past few years. And it's working. But he knows this wouldn't be practical for someone tending to thousands of acres. I've probably spent a thousand hours in this pasture killing old world blue stem. Well, you know, a rancher can't do that. Like many invasive species, old world blue stem was brought here on purpose. It goes back to the Dust Bowl when the federal government planted it to revive land that had been farmed and grazed into oblivion. The good earth has turned to dust. Soil that once grew wheat now clots the highways. Back then, most people didn't think of the grass as a problem. It was supposed to be a solution. In the 1980s, farmer Orville Moore helped Kansas State University plant the grass in Hayes, where the research center studied its grazing potential. It was just another seed to be drilled, and that's what I did, so 
I had no clue. And it wasn't just K-State. Highway departments planted it in roadside ditches. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has encouraged landowners to grow it for conservation. But some of the things that made it so attractive, its prolific growth, its hardy tolerance to drought, have made it maddeningly difficult to rein in years later. It now shows up in just about every county in Kansas. Nature will take over and it'll, it'll eat your lunch, so too late now. The horse is out of the barn. So why is Old World Blue Stem so good at being so bad for prairies? It's highly competitive, so it can outcompete and outgrow and inhibit the growth of other native plants. Karen Hickman, environmental science director at Oklahoma State University, says for one, it uses biochemical warfare. Her research shows that it releases chemicals into the surrounding dirt to make the soil less habitable for native plants. That's bad news, not just for those plants, but also for the ecosystem that relies on the grasses that have held to that soil for millennia. When we start forgetting that native prairie is important, that gets to be a sad day. But the takeover might not be inevitable. Some counties have talked about listing it as a noxious weed, which would force both private and public lands to control it. But Aaron Popelka with the Kansas Livestock Association says statewide regulations would be unfair to landowners when the plant is often spread by highway mowing crews. That's the rub there is you're asking landowners in many instances to, to control something that they had no part in. So the state's got to step up. For now, it's up to researchers to come up with new ways to stop it. K-State range scientist Keith Harmony crouches down at a research plot in Hayes near where the university planted the grass years ago. In a native pasture, we could see 10, 11, 12 different species all within one single square foot of space. And here, all we see is old world blue stem. Some of the herbicides he's studying show promise for targeting the grass. Prescribed fires may help stifle it too. But with no silver bullet, he says trying to slow down its spread may be the best thing to hope for kind of feels like the old world blue stem is going to win because we don't really have a surefire way to treat it at the moment. So it, it, it has the upper hand right now. For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Condos in Hayes. The Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bob Batterson, and I'm the Chief of Child Psychiatry at Children's Mercy Hospital. I like the national reporting, and that's a key cornerstone for me to hear what's going on and hear the national NPR reporters. But I found our local reporters with their in-depth reporting about various issues around the city to be completely invaluable, especially with the lessening focus on print journalism. We've managed to get some outstanding journalists here, people who have won awards. A Pulitzer, for instance, <laughs> but those local reports really grab my attention. I'll leave the radio on longer than I maybe need to to just hear what the local news or local perspectives on the news are. Call 816-235-5287 with your pledge. Real Humans by Gina Kaufman, just the right length for your Kansas City commute with new episodes every Sunday on kcur.org and wherever you get your podcasts. 
You'll hear a complete story before you reach your destination. Looking for something or someone to, you know, break up the pace of the day, which is another reason why, like, I don't know, getting up and getting your next cup of coffee, at least you're getting up from your computer. Now I just, like, drink four cups of black coffee. It's just the water of the morning. New episodes for me every Sunday. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomina Giadine. Recent FBI data shows that hate crimes in 2020 increased significantly across the United States, including in Kansas and Missouri. However, unreliable data collection and severe underreporting mean it's hard to know what the real trends are. KCUR reporter Luke Martin broke down the data on KCUR's Up to Date with Steve Kraske. Luke, nice to have you. Good morning. Good to be here. How much did hate crimes rise in our two states during the past year? Yeah, well, um, in Missouri, uh, during 2020, we had 115 hate crimes that were reported throughout the state. That is about a 29% increase from Mm -hmm. 2019. Kansas, uh, just across the border, saw an even bigger jump. They saw a 65% increase in hate crimes reported from 2019 to 2020. So in Kansas, you saw 124 hate crimes reported. That number was also the most in Kansas, the most reported in Kansas since 1990, Hmm. uh, when when the FBI started collecting these numbers on a yearly basis. So a pretty substantial increase in both states. We should point out that the rise of hate crimes in our states was nothing unusual, Luke. They were up really across the country as well, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, Law enforcement officials across the country reported more than 7,700 uh, hate crime incidents that were uh, that were you know considered hate crimes. Um, so so uh, that that's interesting because you actually had fewer agencies reporting this year than you have in years past, hmm. uh, but you still had the highest number of hate crimes reported uh, in the country since 2018. Wow. So what are officials saying about the why here? What's driving these increases? Why are they up as much as they are? Yeah, you know, I reached out to the Overland Park Police Department uh, in my reporting on this story, mm-hmm. and they kind of told me that they didn't know why they were seeing an increase. You know, I got the sense that uh, their focus is more on how they can solve these things as opposed to figuring out why they're happening. Uh, now, that said, you know, I talked to uh, Gabriella Geller of the American Jewish Council in Kansas City. One of the things she brought up with me that is that, you know, anytime you see sort of economic distress in the country, hate crimes are going to go up. Um, you see that you see that relationship. You know, if you were to chart it, you would mm-hmm. see as it, economic distress goes up. So does hate crimes. Uh, Geller told me that, you know, a lot of times and there's sort of this American tradition of looking for a scapegoat group, you know, someone mm-hmm. to blame for why we're all experiencing this economic distress. Um, I also spoke with Reverend Rodney Williams, who is uh, uh, president of the of the Kansas City, Missouri branch of the NAACP. Right. He brought up a lot of the social upheaval that we've seen over the last year or so. Um, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protests that were sparked by the killing of George Floyd in uh, in Minnesota. Uh, Reverend Williams said that. You know, a lot of that social upheaval, a lot of these protests, not only do they help energize people involved in those movements, but they can also help energize uh, sort of the people who oppose those kinds of mm-hmm. uh, movements as well. So so that social upheaval can kind of stoke energy on both sides of the issue. 
Um, and then he brought up, you know, the fact that we are coming out of uh, a presidential administration that was not exactly friendly to minority interests. Um, and he says that that kind of created this atmosphere where uh, racists in this country feel like they can get away with doing racist things. And uh, when that happens, uh, people are going to be more inclined to do those things that they maybe would have hesitated to do in the past. You know, you point out in your story here that there's also this issue when it comes to the difficulty in collecting accurate data when it comes to the reporting of hate crimes. Why is this information so difficult to gather? Because on one level, it wouldn't seem like it would be. Yeah, and it's actually uh, kind of difficult on both ends of the uh, of the process as well. You know, one of the big problems is that people underreport hate crimes a lot. Um, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. Um, Reverend Williams of the NAACP said that uh, he wouldn't be surprised if the actual number of hate crimes reported, or the actual number of hate crimes was three to four times the number that was reported. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that points to sort of this distrust uh, in law enforcement agencies' ability to either solve these crimes or, you know, to really respond to them in any sort of way that would be satisfying to the victims. Um, so so you, the other aspect of the underreporting is that, you know, oftentimes these are traumatic events for people. And um, when you report an event like that to the police or to a law enforcement agency, you are likely going to have to, um, you know, maybe in excruciating detail, relive those relive events. Relive the whole thing. Yeah. And that could be traumatic enough to, you know, dissuade some people from calling police uh, to report these things in the first place. So, so yeah, there is a lot of underreporting, and that is a big issue. The other side of it is that, um, you know, law enforcement agencies themselves are not required to report these numbers to the FBI. It is a voluntary thing that they do, uh, you know, inconsistently at best. Sometimes, uh, you know, one year's data is more reliable than another because, uh, you know, the the reporting of this is inconsistent. And then you have the problem where, um, you know, some officers may not even be able to recognize a hate crime if it were to come across mm. their daily work. Um, and so if they're not able to recognize, they're not able to identify that and classify it as a hate crime, then it's not going to end up in those yearly FBI statistics. That was KCUR's Luke Martin talking to Steve Kraske on Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Maria Carter and Lisa Rodriguez. You can hear more of our work and read David's story on the Kansas Prairie and Luke's story on hate crimes at KCUR.org. As always, we're live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.